it's a marathon, not a sprint. I think people get really caught up in the adrenaline of starting a company and go so hard out of the gate. And they think like, okay, this is the pace that I'm gonna have like the entire time. And then you're sort of in year two and then you're in year three and then you're in four and then you're like, I'm gonna burn out. And then you sort of compound with like life going on top of that. My entrepreneurial journey with my founder, I had four kids. There were so many moments in which life came first. You're not gonna be able to do those things if you're not in it for the long haul. Not slow and steady because you should be hustling at all times, but that you should know that it's, you know, you're not doing it at breakneck speed. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Chris Hobbs, president and co-founder of TTT Studios, a digital consulting and software development studio where we design and build next generation digital products. And I am super excited to have the Jennifer Lee Koss as a guest of episode 82 my gosh, 82 of the Afternoon Tea Podcast. And Jennifer, let me just get into this, if you please. Jennifer is an entrepreneur and investor passionate about supporting, uplifting, and changing the lives of entrepreneurs and working families. She is a founding partner of Springbank Collective, an investment fund that supports early stage companies reimagining work, building the care infrastructure, and developing solutions for working families. Through Springbank, Jen is actively shaping the future of work and family life by backing startups that leverage technology and community to make life more manageable, fulfilling, and equitable. I love that. In 2012, Jen co-founded Bricka, an innovative retail agency focused on creating curated retail experiences. Bricka was acquired in 2022 by Salt XC and has been featured in numerous publications, won several awards for its mission-driven approach to retail. Before Bricka, Jen worked in management consulting, investment banking, and private equity. She serves as a board member of both public and private companies in North America and Europe, and in addition, she is a Chouillard-trained cellist, a mother of four, a graduate of Harvard, Oxford, and HBS, that's Harvard Business School. Join us as we learn from her wisdom and discover what it takes to build a successful and meaningful business in today's world. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, and your voice is amazing. I, 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 I turn into that podcast voice when, 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 when I can there, when I can. Very impressive. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank well, you I'm, ex I'm excited to chat with you today, and, and you're in you're in Oslo, Norway. That's correct. Yes, the epicenter of the universe, Oslo, Norway. Well, I, I I can't wait to learn how the path got you there. But let's start. Let's start right from Bricka. Can you tell me the founding story of Bricka, please? Oh my goodness. Let's see. So in 2012, um, I was working in private equity, and uh, you know I I would spend a lot of time like trolling lifestyle blogs. I don't know, just for fun. <laughs> and I sort of stumbled across one that I absolutely loved. At the time, it was called In Life and In Fashion. And it was sort of a beautiful curation of of all things, you know, clothes, books, and things like lifestyle items, home. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this. And then this woman who wrote this blog had just this great voice. And so I was looking in her bio, and it said, oh, you know, this woman, Kena Paranjape, lives in Toronto. And I was like, what? This woman lives in Toronto. So I cold emailed her and I was like, hello, like I follow your blog and I'm stalking you and I'd love to meet you for a coffee. And she was like, okay. So we met for a coffee and it was sort of like this instant, I don't know, we had a meeting of the minds. We were like, you know what? I really like you. And I think we should do something together. It was like this, like it was unsaid because we sent emails to each other afterwards being like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And <laughs> thinking what you're thinking and 
then we sort of started giving each other home like let's try and like ruminate on an idea that we get really excited about and at the time she was running a store concept called pistachio mm-hmm. it's like very ahead of its time it was um it was sort of an extension of indigo and it was about sustainable paper products i mean mm-hmm. this is like 10 years ago yeah. so hard to imagine i think today would probably crush it yeah. um and so she was working a lot with these like small artisans and designers and people who made stuff and i was also very passionate about the creative industry and so that's kind of where our heads came together we were like let's create this like very curated online etsy uh-huh. uh connecting those who are creative with those who kind of aspire to be and that's where it all started it pivoted in many different ways after that but that's the genesis of it wow so a kismet meeting so 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 right. l- lesson here you know chase 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 to meet people that you find are interesting or doing interesting things um Thousands. amazing things can happen well bricka all capitals all capital yeah. letters i might say Always. what does yeah. bricka mean exactly all capitals um so we learn the hard way from like for about naming startups because you know every name is taken and we mm-hmm. come up with short but meaningful and eventually we landed on this name bricka because it was the end of the Spanish word fabrica, which meant factory. Mm-hmm. We weren't a factory. Obviously, we were anti-factory. And then we changed the C into a K. I know it's very long. No one gets it. But And then we said, hey, that sounds really sort of catchy. And we were working with um, a branding company that had already um, basically like created this logo with like five letters on it. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, okay, let's let's do that. Because we had originally started with something called, I think it was Pixie. Mm-hmm. Was already taken in many different ways, so we just changed it. Well, I think I think I think it's a great name. I, I really do. And, and 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 a little bit. I mean, I'm always intrigued about when there's an acquisition. Um, okay. You know, and, and salt also looks like capital letters, so maybe it was meant to be. Um, <laughs> but what was the relationship like? When did you have a relationship beforehand? Did this this did they come out of nowhere and say, hey, you know, we're really excited about what you do? Like, how how does how does that um, transpire? I think in this journey of building this company, we must have had, I want to say like three or four even, like really promising potential acquisition <laughs> things happening. It, it, it like, And this is like maybe sort of a lesson learned too, which was, you know, we'd always be like, oh, should we reach out to that strategic? I don't know. Maybe they're just going to think we're competition or they're going to steal our ideas or I don't know. Uh, who yeah. knows? But the lesson learned was like, yes, actually, you should reach out to these larger players, even if they are competitors, because first of all, you mean nothing to them, let's be clear, it's small. <laughs> no one wakes up every single day being like, I can't about that small company. No, no, <laughs> except you. So um, we basically created some really good relationships with strategics over time and and then cultivated those relationships. We kept them up to date and, and then we went down lots of different paths, almost some that felt like, oh my God, it's going to happen. And let me tell you, it's just like, when you say you're raising money, like if nothing happens until that money is actually wired into your bank account, it's the same mm-hmm. with it doesn't happen unless you've actually signed the paperwork on the dotted line because you can go down many different potential acquisition paths. Salt was an interesting story because I had met these guys. It was, it was at least two years before more than that, maybe two and a half years, three years before the acquisition actually happened where they had heard about us at the time we had already pivoted into being an agency. Mm-hmm. Like a agency that was creating pop up experiences for both brands and property developers, and we had somehow gotten on their radar screen through a mutual connection of ours through Shopify. Actually, someone we knew at Shopify, mm-hmm. and 
they started saying like, hey, you know, there's these two guys. We're going to like build this massive agency. They came from Mosaic, which is a very well-known mm-hmm. financial marketing agency. So they knew what they were doing clearly. But like at the time when they came to you, they're like these two guys. They're like, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be so big. I'm telling you, it's going to be huge. And we want you to be a part of it. And you know, you what you're doing is going to fit so nicely into salt. And I was like, what? I, I don't I don't even I don't even know what to say. Back forward, post our acquisition thing, like they are now, I think the if not one of the fastest growing agencies in North America. They have over two hundred full time people. They have major accounts with like you know all these gigantic Fortune five hundred companies. So they did the thing. They did the thing. thing. They are doing the thing. And um, and in many ways, I think back and wonder like oh, you know what maybe i should have jumped on that bandwagon earlier um but i wouldn't have known right like i didn't know exactly where that was going to go and if you've been cultivating a business for almost 10 years like you don't want to just kind of like hand it off somewhere and be like okay well you know done you really want to make sure that it ends up in a place where you think it you know gets to that next level and i definitely felt that way but you know when we finally kind of signed on the dotted line i was like this thing needs to grow off the back of something really big and and I had full confidence in those guys and that team, um, and they have done the thing. So amazing, amazing. Now, how do you? I mean, it's a, it, when you're talking, it's almost an agency model, uh, Bricka. How do you yep. separate yourself from it after the acquisition? Then, oh my because gosh, you're, you're 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 a super, you know, um, you're such a oh, what was the word like fashionable and stylish person, which I yeah. think really, well, I, I, I we'll, we'll get a little bit of this, but what, what, it's, it's, it's very noticeable when, when you see you speak and talk. And I think that's part of what the agency wants is they want to have leaders who have, yeah. you know, that, okay. that, that can showcase and, and churn this. How do you remove yourself from that and, and allow them to keep doing what they do and, you know, separate yourself yeah. basically? Honestly, that has been the to be honest, like the easiest part of it in some ways, because I was so lucky. The people who ended up continuing on the Bricker ride and, and you know, the team, basically the core team that had worked with me for, I mean, some of the five, six, seven years, mm-hmm. like loyal soldiers, they stayed on and they continued to carry the banner inside SALT. The, that team got hired in mm-hmm. and... They just continue to operate the way that they were operating before. And I really, in many ways, I'm a, I'm a huge delegator. Like, it's like, I trust. I trust and I respect and I'm going to support you in what you need. But like, I totally 1000% have full confidence that you know what you're doing, you're going to get it done. And you can do it in any way, in the way that you know how. And I will hopefully be able to find the best, the best way that you know how. But like that's kind of how I ran the team, and they—that's—it's like it doesn't need me. It's they're mm-hmm. doing it. They've always been doing it. So that was like the least I think of the problems or concerns that I had when I I did the acquisition. Okay, well, well, that's 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 fantastic. Well, Spring Bank, I love the idea of Spring Bank. By the way, I think it, I think it's wonderful. I think the world needs more Spring Bank. Can you tell oh, yeah. me the founding story uh, and your mission? Totally. So, I guess. I had always a couple of things. One is I'd always been angel investing actively. So once I became an entrepreneur, I sort of stayed within the entrepreneurial community and over, you know, 10 years had been meeting with multiple founders. And then I started angel investing like very early days and very small checks. So mm-hmm. once you start doing that, you get into this ecosystem of founders and, and meeting founders and 
Um, so I kind of was already in that space. And then the business that I ran was always working with 99% female entrepreneurs, to be totally frank. <laughs> and I started like really noticing like the real lived problems and issues of people who were like trying to create a livelihood and raise a family. And then I myself was put in that position because I have four children between the ages of 12 and, and soon to be six. And oh. I was also going to make this work. How does this all work? And then you start to look at things structurally. Of course, I was living in Canada. I had like lots of friends and compatriots in the U.S. And I'm like, that's a busted system. I kind of reconnected with two individuals in my life who I've known for a very long time. One who I actually went to undergraduate with, who I played lacrosse with. I nice. played lacrosse with. <laughs> and we met on the cross team. And so I've known her for about 25 years. And and I, she came for a visit, actually, and we started talking about like, gosh, there's got to be ways to fix this gender equality thing that goes beyond just investing in female founders. <laughs> Um, which is a massive, huge problem, which I have personally lived, but is not the problem that we were trying to solve. We were trying to think about how do you really dial on creating better, more sustainable, um, uh, truly, you know, equitable families and households. And and how do we mm -hmm. kind of right size the gender equation in a way that creates systematic change? And then we were thinking, well, Rad, we're talking about a huge problem here. I thought, oh my gosh, I know this woman from business school that I met, and I'm now going to my 15-year business school reunion. Nice. And this woman had such a background in systems change, and so I brought all of us together, and we kind of ruminated on it, and then wrote this like very wonky, geeky white paper about how we were going to invest in this missing infrastructure, which consisted of three key themes, which is um, care anything that touches care, so elderly care, child care, caregiving caregivers, uh -huh. um, and then career, so things that took bias out of the system that created fair uh -huh. flex work, and then the last piece around household consumer. Um, and for us, like the data and the context was all there. So the things that people believe are like women's issues are actually everyone's issues. Uh -huh. And we thought if we can find really good companies in those three key categories, then we're going to start to build that infrastructure that's going to support all these women and working families. That's awesome. That's that's that is a great problem to to tackle and uh, incredibly incredibly good for everyone. I must say. Well, can you give me an example of of a type of company that you would invest in, or maybe maybe some companies you have invested in, so we can kind of understand that a little better? Totally. Yeah. So um, so I'm going to give one example. A really good one is um. Why don't I do, oh my gosh, which one? So many good know. ones. There's so many good ones. Well, I can give like a little, a, a, a mix of them. One um, that we have followed the trajectory on. So we do pre-series A typically, but we've actually followed on here. We did their series A and we did their series B um, okay. called Wealthy. So they are a concierge care coordination service for families that have that are taking care of um, you know people with complex needs, Wait. and and they sell through employers basically as an employee benefit, which we really liked. So it wasn't just like direct consumer model, but it was really going through large enterprise clients like Google and Facebook and Hilton and Delta and Merck. Um, so the idea is they basically you know they they 
they're concierge. They really help you figure out all those complex needs that someone might have from like figuring out insurance to finding someone to come to your home, um, you know, on and on and on. And, and why corporates like it is because it literally translates to less, less lost productivity days, right? Yeah. So um, we came in in the series A, we then sat on the board and then we saw just like this amazing growth, um, an incredible sales pipeline they raised to be, and we sort of followed on, and they're on their way. They actually just um, soon are probably going to finish raising their Series C, so they're doing really well. So that's Amazing. one. I love the I love the name, by the way, wealthy, because it doesn't scream what it does. But then when you think about it, you're like, well, you know what? You're not wealthy until you have a strong family that's that's you know there to support you, and be there, and this this support that you're talking about, or the, the totally. it's, it's, yeah. it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, and a play on like you know wellness and. <laughs> people well and things like that um another example might be this might be a little bit of a different take but it kind of sits in our consumer bucket because we do think a lot about financial tools for the home like creating financial literacy is one but also mm -hmm. financial caregiving is another category that we think a lot about which has to do with like elderly fraud for example so we're in a company called careful which which deals with that but copper is an example of a company it's a teen banking app uh, it, it really leads with financial literacy and it engages teens like directly on school campuses. And then it sort of um, allows you to like unlock um, like rewards and functionality and things like that um, as you use the as you use the app. Mm -hmm. And what we really liked about this company, we did their series, their series A. And what we liked about this company a lot was more than half the users were teenage girls, which we thought was um, passive, and they, they wanted to find more ways to to go after that particular end consumer. And their go-to-market was really interesting because they would go directly onto high school campuses, and, and then you'd have to sort of lock in with the parents as well. And this was a model that this founding team had actually, like, it was a playbook. They had they had created a fundraising tool that went exactly the same way, that had, like, hit it out of the park. Mm -hmm. And so we had high confidence in that um, in that founding team to get it done. So there's, like, two examples, but we obviously, we've invested, we've just, um, yeah, we've invested in, we had a free fund where we were doing um, SPVs deal by deal, and we did about 24 companies in that sort of cohort. Crazy. And then we've and new investments so we have a lot of you know of real range that's a lot of supported companies that's that's fantastic and again great thesis well but tell me you know what what's the what's this i mean you don't give away too many secrets here but what's the best way to get in front of um you know a a, a a vc an organization like yourself like what's what's the best way to get your attention oh we do get a lot interestingly probably more now these days than ever before like really cold in like inbound um ones which of course some are interesting and some are not but i think that's interesting that people by the way and i am not deterring people from emailing colds because i think you gain so much in life by just putting yourself out there and and going after something so i'm not saying that but i think like because of the velocity of companies that we actually see which is like honestly like in the thousands yeah. sometimes the best intros are the warm ones and the warm ones coming from particularly other founders mm. so some of the best intros we've gotten are not just from the founders in our portfolio but the founders that we have rejected who still stay in touch with us and then mm. who still find ways 
to bring great companies to us, which I think is amazing. Um, oh. That's like a really, for for us, always feels really like warm and qualified. That's awesome. No, I I, I, I think that's really great. And, and I mean, listen, it's funny, the, the young you know, the young entrepreneurs who think, oh, give me a million dollars and I'd meet it. You know, they don't understand that's the beginning of the journey. Um, oh, my God. But, oh, gosh, I get this all the time. But how how long does a typical relationship happen where they'll reach out or you'll get an introduction and then you're like, hey, that's interesting. Tell me a little more. I mean, it's not an overnight thing. Like, these things can take years sometimes. I mean, as, as you were saying, what, yes. what's, the, what's the typical type of timeline for, for and I, I know there's probably no real, you know, hard No, hard there rule isn't. Here. It ranges. It does. Yeah. And obviously, like... You know, sometimes we're playing into timelines of how a raise is going. You know, that's one. Although we really, I think, distinguish ourselves by our diligence process. Yeah. And that has been noted multiple times, you know, across the board in terms of like how thoroughly we're doing our diligence. And it might be because of our backgrounds. Like I come from sort of very old traditional PE. And then obviously I've been an entrepreneur myself. So I feel like really deep entrepreneurial empathy. Dimensions. So, like, I feel all the feels for all these entrepreneurs where I'm like, oh man, like, no, this is going to be, you're going to be chewing glass for like a really long time. Yes. So, I'm like, oh. and then you have Courtney who comes from like corporate MA. She like ran MA from New York Stock Exchange and then was like the CFO of Marsh, you know, the insurance company globally. She comes from like a really sort of process, process, process standpoint. And mm -hmm. Alana has done, you know, she's a McKinsey consultant. She's co-authored the National Broadband Plan, um, and she also advised their family office on investing. So I think all of our collective experiences has has really um, shaped the way that we do our diligence. We want to be really thorough, and we want it to come from many different directions. So to be honest, I think most of the time we are trying to build real relationships and mm. over time. And the best thing, too, is that we like to show our value to founders, even if we don't invest, for example, but like, even if it's in the beginning of a relationship, we're like, how can we help you? And if we can help you and Maybe. really do something for you, then then you're going to pick us too. We're going to realize that we're uh -huh. really good and that we want to be on this ride together. And so it, it definitely goes both ways. In uh, community, you know, it's it. And, and so it's not always just money. You know, it's, it's just like you said, introductions help, um, ideas help. Um, charge sometimes telling them maybe you should get out of the business um, helps. <laughs> I, I I've been there many times where you just recognize well, maybe yeah. you should go and eat instead of oh you know instead of oh. instead of continuing the dream in this one. Um, oh but uh, well, you know what thing what thing that intrigues me too is you 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 sit on the board of directors of multiple companies and organizations. What makes a a, a good director of a board? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, it's a really good question. I was actually at a dinner last night. Uh, it was run by a headhunting company that does board search. We had this, we had this exact conversation at dinner. Um, and it's a really good question because I think that all board members particularly, you know, bring a lot of different value to the table. Um, and, and obviously companies leverage that in different ways. I think, um, I think like one is like I, for me personally, I think it's like a, a couple of things. I think it's um, like clearly thinking about connectivity, like how can I help, you know, activate my network in a way that helps promote or further this company in a way like in a strategic value way that they're already going. That's one. How can I be a resource 
potentially to the management team. Um, you know, I, and I've done all different things from being a mentor to some women who are, you know, rising to the top, but to, um, you know, working strate- on st- very specific strategic projects with the CEO. I mean, there's lots of different ways. Um, but I think it all comes down to, uh, I don't know, sometimes I think it's just like having very high sort of EQ, mm. meaning like, what do they need? What do they want? Do they actually want my help? Do they not? Like, it's like just this like very sort of art, not science thing where uh, you're doing and you're like, how how engaged do you want me to be with your management team or how engaged do you want me to be with this or, you know, where do you think you can use me best? I think that's just a lot of um, understanding the room a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'm still learning. And I love my board work because it's very diverse and mm-hmm. allowed me to meet so many amazing people and to really get engaged in really interesting work. Um yeah, I I feel blessed in many ways because I have been sitting on public and private company boards at a young age, and for over a decade. So, yeah, I hope I hope that continues. I hope that continues for the rest of my career. Well, I, I think the trajectory is there, and it's going to continue. I mean, the the only question is how can you get even on bigger boards than some of the ones you're on? But one, <laughs> one, one before before I talk about some of these bigger ones, especially we'll talk about some some really prime Canadian boards. Um, tell me, like when you when you um. Do you seek a board seat in the companies you invest in? Like, is that is that important to you too, or or how do you, how how do you like to influence these companies? Basically, that yeah, you invest I mean, in? sometimes sometimes we have joined boards of companies that we have invested in. It's not a prerequisite whatsoever, mm-hmm. not at all. Um, I think it just comes down to again, like after we've built that rapport and that relationship over a long period of time, it becomes very obvious. Like either we add a lot of value, or we've got a really good ear and relationship with the founders founder to build that trust and to want to be on that board so i think that's kind of how it works it's never like we need to you know we need a board seat if we're going to invest it's never like that Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people say that we punch like totally above our weight so for the amount like the size check that we add you know to a cap table we tend to add inordinate amounts of value i think through our network Mm -hmm. and speaks volumes um, so I think that's pretty much. Well, and, and, and that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to say you're totally mission driven, but you're kind of mission driven in terms of your yeah. investment strategy. And so, yeah. you know, it, it, it makes sense that you're going to add a lot more value than just say a check, you know, because yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Want, oh, we are you absolutely... want their success to be beyond just a financial return. You, you're, yeah. You're, and you're, I you're, you're, yeah. Which, which I think is fantastic. Well, you know, I didn't want to open up this gift, this gift so early of the which was the boards that you're on, but the director of the board, you are the director of the board of the National Ballet of Canada. What's 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 it like? You know, why the National Ballet of all things, and what's your role as the director of the board? Oh my goodness, um, I yes, I have been on the board of the National Ballet. Uh, I also at one point was on the board of the Art Gallery of Ontario, the AGO. <laughs> Unbelievable experience. And I think both of those really stem from my past. Like I've been a musician in my past life. So from when I was 10 until I was basically 26-ish, I was a very serious cellist. <laughs> uh, and I've always had like this desire to be in and around the arts and the creative industries always and so i think that it was um it was kind of a it was like a perfect place for me to be because i have both like a business and a creative hat on business art hat on mm-hmm. and, um 
and yeah, so I, I, the way I started on the ballet was I co-chaired this annual gala, basically, is how I was tapped. I was asked and I was sort of like, okay, I guess I'll do it. And we raised an inordinate amount of money for the, for the organization, which was fantastic. Yeah. And so then they were sort of like, well, you know what? We need some young blood on this board. So let's get you on board. So anyway, that's how it happened. <laughs> well, that's, and, and, and we're all better. We're all better for, for, for that. But um, I just want to go back. You said you were a serious cellist. Have you met an unserious cellist lately? <laughs> that's like, that might be like me now. I might be an unserious cellist now <laughs> because I'm kind of like going back to my musical roots. I, I, I really like put it away in a closet for 10, at least 10 years more 20 years like i kind of just put it away i don't know cold turkey and now i'm sort of rediscovering my musical interests i call myself an unserious cellist now an unserious cellist. i mean that's a, that sounds like a great biography title right there on <laughs> the unserious cellist but far far from far from reality here um no i i was blessed to have met you at the c100 event uh recently at, at down down in uh, california and you were an amazing interviewer of, of of Jeff Shiner, the CEO of One Password, and and, and and as I was kind of touching on before, you know, the second I heard you, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to have you on the podcast because you just you <laughs> just had so much class and so much, you know, it's just so much style that it was you really you really stood out uh, among a you know a group of people that all stand out. Um, do you have any? interview tips for me because you were so good of that like what what when you do an interview what what do you do is there any is there any sort of you well, know um yeah any, any tips you can give me or the or the listeners oh gosh interview tips i love interviewing people i don't know i've kind of fallen into this a little bit because i've just moderated a few things over the past month and i realized like i actually really enjoy it a lot <laughs> because i'm really what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to pull stories out of people i think like storytelling is so powerful obviously and i just want people to feel like safe mm. and comfortable and like just like able to let their guard down so that they will tell me and show me their real selves like that's kind of how i feel when i go into it and i also like to dig up i'd like to do research so i'd like to dig mm. up things about people that maybe other people wouldn't know or like facts that people wouldn't know about them and sort of pepper them in so that they kind of not only are they a little bit like caught off guard because they're like, hey, how'd you know that about me? <laughs> but they it allows them to open a door for them to tell a story, you know, that they maybe typically wouldn't in an audience of like a very serious kind of business, you know, conference. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love it. I love doing it. I would say just like be yourself. That's how I feel. Be yourself, be authentic and kind of get people feeling comfortable around you and, and and able enough to just kind of let go and tell a little bit about themselves. I think that's wonderful. And I also like that you've got a little bit of, a, I don't know if you know Nardwar out of, out of UBC here. So probably one of the greatest interviewers of all time. And what makes him such a great interviewer is the fact that he finds things on people that, you know, he talks to their great, <laughs> he talks to their kindergarten teachers sort of a thing and finds things that okay. make you go, what? Oh, how do you know that? I mean, you, you kind of touched on what, what I would say is his secret sauce and who I would actually say is the greatest interviewer of all time. Short, uh, short, of, short of yourself with, with, uh, Oh yeah. Uh, but the, the interview of the kindergarten teacher is a very good one. I like oh, that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, you can, you can dig deep and, and, and oh, surprise. I, I well, well, as, as I said, you know, I was nothing but impressed by 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 your style. And then when I did my research, you know, recognized, wow, your companies are all stylish. Like it makes so much sense. <laughs> so here's a but here's a question for you. Okay, is being stylish an art or a science? Whoa, 
Oh my gosh. I that's such a high compliment, honestly. Thank you it's so much. It's a fact much. though. It's a fact. Oh, nice. I would say I always think about um like for example, like clothing or something like that, or just how you present yourself as um it's an expression like of of you as a person. Like it's an emotional expression for me. Like I love wearing clothing that looks good or looks different or interesting because I feel like it's an extension of my personality. Right. And, and, you know, sometimes really only it's true. You only get like one chance to make an impression and why not make it a memorable one? So mm. I kind of just really love that. I also love just the idea of finding things that are different and unique and yeah, that maybe people wouldn't think about putting together. So that I really enjoy. Um, but I do think it's important. You know, people are, if you're a public person, you're building a brand and you have a very maybe public persona. And so yeah. I think I think people should take it seriously yeah. in some ways, right? But it also should feel, going back to like authentic people, it should feel very core to who you are and and how you want people to see you or feel, not see you, or feel around yeah. you. Um, so whether I do that intentionally, I don't know, but I kind of just love feeling it. So I'd say art. Well, keep keep doing it. Keep doing. Well, see, you're you're based in Oslo, Norway now, as we kind of touched on. How did what what brings you to Norway? What's what's how's the path there? Based in Norway, so I think most you know foreign people in Norway would say uh, they married into the country. So I think uh, that's the that's the short answer to the long story. But yeah, we've been coming back here forth here for nearly almost twenty years. So. I feel like Norway has definitely been, it's been some key part of my life and I've sort of absorbed it maybe through osmosis. I don't know, <laughs> but I do have four kids who I feel like are half Norwegian. Mm -hmm. And so I feel very strongly that they should know and own half of their heritage and know who they are. And so being here, we came right before COVID hit really. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, like mixed blessing in a weird way, but I think that they are feeling very Norwegian, which... I hope they'll carry with them in some way, shape, or form, you know, out there. There's lots of good qualities about Norway cool. that um, that the rest of the world, I think, is is seeing. So I think that's great. But by the way, it's a tiny little country. There's only 5 million people in the entire country. Like, there's 5 million people in all of, like, Toronto GTA. So this is, like... Yet, uh, yet Norway has most Olympic winner. I'm, I'm, every time I'm shocked to see, you know, yes. pound for pound, how good... The Olympians are of Norway. Well, they just love their winter sport, and they also love being active, which mm -hmm. I think people maybe on the west coast of Canada would really appreciate, too. Mm -hmm. Like, you have the mountains, you have hiking, you have the outdoors, you have, like, people just love being active and being outside, and mm -hmm. that's a huge part of their culture. They have this thing called, like, free loose leave, which means, like, free, you know, like, um, fresh air life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, a they live by it and so i think that and they and they get it into their kids really early so yeah. like they have outdoor kindergartens for example that means like your children amazing. do not go inside for the entire year that's so, amazing yeah it is it's really cool um so there's lots of there's lots of cool things here <laughs> oh i bet i bet well you know i've I spent a lot of time in scandinavia and it's 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 one of the few places in the world that i feel super comfortable walking up to a 90 year old you know grandmother and say hey how do i do parking here 
Um, And, and, you know, they'll answer back in English perfectly. Like, I don't have to feel shame like when you're in France or Germany when they're like, you know, hey, try it, try it, try to speak my language at least. How is doing business? Like, do you have to speak Norwegian or is is it forgiven that, you know, they kind of recognize business is done in English? Like, how how does that work? Oh, gosh, by the way, just side note, I've actually like had people get in my car and help me park my car. So, you know, that's just... So... Most people here speak English. It's true. That is very true. And um, I've even sat on boards. I do understand Norwegian. So I have sat on boards where they only speak Norwegian, but I speak English back. So oh. that is cool. Um, but I'd say that I do think that if you really wanted to get ingrained here and, and be a part of it, you should learn the language. And <laughs> it's hard. So I'm not going to you know, feign. I really cannot speak it, but but I can understand it. Um, but there, there are a lot of people speak English. So I think that that is, that is the truth. And especially the youth, right? They're, they're so exposed to, to oh, yeah. shows and movies and, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, no, but, but I think you touched on something. I mean, if you're going to be in there culturally, you should try to at least adopt, you know, the language. I, I'm, I, again, my wife's Korean and my mother-in-law does not speak any English. So I had to learn Korean just to, to be able to oh my speak God, to her. So, so well, uh, poorly, I, I bred translators as well, which made it easier. But um, oh, uh, but, but it is but it is important, I think, to you know to 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 recognize that, as you said, you know, your kids are half Norwegian; they have to you know acknowledge yeah. that side of them. I felt it was the same and important, you know. And it's easy. I mean, in a city like I live in Vancouver, I mean, in a city like Vancouver, I think it's pretty easy to to you know, everyone's from everywhere but here. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it, I think it's pretty easy, uh, to, to, to accept that. Well, you know, I, I love some of the companies like, um, that you, that you sit on the boards with too. I just want to get in there cause I want to know about that sneaker stuff out of Stockholm, really cool company, old company too. I was surprised to see, um, yeah. tell me, yep. tell me a bit about that and, oh and how gosh. you got on with them. Yeah. I mean, that is a true startup turn success story over the year. So it was like, they started like. 99, 1999, Eric and Peter, they're friends, um, two Swedish guys who love playing basketball in Stockholm. And they were so influenced by the streetwear culture and, and sneakers and they were bonafide sneaker heads. And they just hustled and basically decided that they were going to start a sneaker business, which they did, you know, with this tiny little store in Stockholm, which, you know, fast forward, they're multi you know 100 million plus biz- dollar business and they have nine stores across the world and they do a ton of business online and it's just been really amazing to see how you can really start with this idea they were such passionate believers in in the culture right community and the culture that we're building around around sneakers and yeah. and basketball and it just grew exponentially and um and yet they've maintained a really deep core of who they are and how they want to present themselves. And that has attracted the attention of the large brands like Nike and Adidas and Yeezy, all these brands that are like, we want to work with you because you clearly are doing something so authentically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a really fun, cool company. By the way, Stockholm's such a cool city. So It is. It is a very cool city. I, I love Stockholm as well. Um, how, you know, you touched on a word there, authentic. How do you find yeah. authentic? How do you find authenticity when you're looking at the company? And is style part of that? Yeah, for sure. I um, I just how do you find authenticity? I don't know. It's a feeling, obviously. It's nothing else. But I think that like 
I am, I'm totally a people person and I get energy from people or I don't get energy from people to be honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, for me, mostly I get a lot of energy from being around other people. And I feel like if I feel good energy, like positive energy, that's good. I also do believe that you should be your authentic self, especially by example, for uh, when it comes to style, I feel that way strongly for my children. I don't pick out their clothes. They're close. Um, they do it. They can wear whatever they want because that is, as I tell them, an expression of who they are. And um, yeah, I think that just like that is a that is a true core personal value that I really try to live by. Mm-hmm. I say it a lot to, in like different contexts. Like I value authenticity. I value loyalty. I value making personal connections with people. Like those three are sort of like very much things that I can say with um, conviction that are very important to me. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm, I'm just imagining a young Jen Lee Koss with a, 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 um, um, a cello in one hand and you've got yeah. your stick, um, your lacrosse stick in the other hand. How yep. often would you do it? In which hand is it? Left with cello, right with cello? How, how, how is, is there an actual balance here? Yeah, there's left, you play this, you play left with the cello and your bow with the right. And then I was sort of right-handed lacrosse. Yeah, I mean, it was like this thing. I was just, I just saw my old lacrosse coach recently from college and she was laughing because she was saying how she was always so stressed that I was going to break fingers in games, which I have done. I mean, oh I did gosh. break once in high school, but yeah, it's, um, it, those two things for me were huge hugely important um for me and you know in in college specifically but growing up like i had sort of this sports head on and i had this musical creative head on and those two together were very critical oh very cool well tell me tell me if like i'm impressed we've got harvard we have oxford and then we have harvard again which one was the better school if you if your kids if you had a choice between just one of those and i know harvard business school is kind of its own thing but we'll still call it harvard which no, one you do can't. You, which like one do you tell your kids to go to? Child. Yeah. Well, I've got a favorite child. <laughs> and he, she knows. <laughs> I tell all my kids they're my favorite children. Yeah. So, you know. Um, do I have a favorite one? I mean, they, I can't honestly, because they were just such different experiences and very different, but very formative parts of my life. So, but I would say like, Maybe the undergraduate, like if I could do it over, where am I world, like where I sit now? Because I feel like I maybe took it for granted in some ways. Like I didn't really, it was a blur, as you said. I had a cello and I had a stick in my hand and I was like maddening, like going everywhere, doing everything. And I'm not sure if I took a moment to really just like pause yeah. and enjoy that environment and where I was, the people I was around. Like I appreciated it, but I'm not like, even to this day, I would appreciate it even more. So I love going back to campus. I love like talking about just feeling energy. I love being around there and feeling the energy and, and being around students and just like being like, God, guys, hello, you're, the world's your oyster. You know, it's going to be amazing. And you're in such a cool place and I hope everyone realizes it. So maybe, maybe I just want to wind time backwards. <laughs> I think, I think we, we all want that. If you can invest in that, I'm, I'm buying yeah, too. So, uh, 
Well, that's awesome. Well, well, you know, the theme of the afternoon tea is to speak to wonderful entrepreneurs like yourself in order to prepare that next generation of of founders. So I have these two questions I always ask, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, First off, can you share one piece of advice to help younger Canadian founders? Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. I think that the piece of advice I typically think about when I think about entrepreneurship is for sure that it's like it's a marathon not a sprint Uh i think people get really caught up in the adrenaline of starting a company and you know and then they go so hard out of the gate and they think like okay this is the pace that i'm gonna have like the entire time i'm gonna be an absolute animal it's gonna be ferocious i'm gonna like crush it and then you're sort of in year two and then you're in year three and then you're in four and then you're like oh my gosh like i'm i'm gonna I'm going to burn out basically. And it's a real thing. Um, And then you sort of compound with like life going on top of that. So my entrepreneurial journey with my founder, like over those 10 years, basically, um, I had four kids. She lost her husband to a very terrible illness. Like there were so many moments in our journey in which life came first and you're not going to be able to do those things or be there or thoroughly be able to like build a real business and be there for each other if you're not in it for the long haul. So I think that's like one of my biggest ones, which is like just not slow and steady because you should be hustling at all times, but that you should know that it's, you know, you're not doing it at breakneck speed. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. Great, great advice. And I actually just want to kind of touch on something because when, you know, when I founded my company, it was actually with my twin brother and, and uh, wonderful Josephine Wong, who's is amazingly talented. But we actually had the, hey, family first. Like when we found it, that was actually the rule was because we had young kids and it's family first. So you need to do something. That's it. Do you have like a social contract with your founders as you're kind of building, I guess we'll call that the founder culture that that bleeds into the, you know, the company culture? Was there something like, you know, kind of a, a contract that you, you know, the spit and shake that uh, that comes with it? Gosh, I love that idea that, you know, I love that idea, by the way. I think I'm like, whoa, actually, we should have something like that. And okay. and of course, it can be voiced over. I would hope that founders can understand, just given where we're coming from and the problems that we're trying to solve, that that is part and parcel of kind of how we view the world. Yeah. Um, but as I said, I, going back, like I have such really, really, really deep entrepreneurial empathy for yeah. founders. And I feel in many that if I also, you know, had, which I did, you know, I have a lot of people that were like emotional support for me many ways throughout my building that business. But that, um, that I, if I play that role, if I can play that role for a founder because I've been there, I think it actually goes a really long way. And so uh, I I tend to over-index on the emotional stuff. <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. And, and that's- you know, em- empathy, I mean, I, I love that empathy is your is your super your superpower for that because I think, you know, especially if you're if you're trying to, un- I mean, I think, I think all, our, all investors should have that because, you know, if you're thinking of it from just cold, hey, return the cash, I think that really works. You know, I think you have to understand the journey a little bit. And you also had to have been on the journey yourself before you can do it. I think huge, 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 huge part of it. It's so manic, right? Like you're like, oh, the next day you're like, I should just like close up shop right now. Like, this is terrible. (laughs) Oh, completely, completely, complete. Well, last question. And and, and again, thank you so much for your time. But can you share the name of a Canadian entrepreneurial or star or founder that you personally look up to? 
Oh my gosh. There are so many. Um, well, I'll name two that are investors slash mentors and friends mm -hmm. that I admire and have always admired. So one is one is Janet Bannister, mm -hmm. who ran Real Ventures. Before yeah. that, she actually, we were calling, we shared an, an, an investor. We we're both basically founders slash, you know, running our, our startups. And mm -hmm. we remained on each other for shared ideas and shared contacts. We, we always consistently asked each other how we could help. And then we helped each other throughout our journeys and finding, you know, different roles in life and how we were going to maneuver ourselves. And she'd always been a true uh, rock. I've always admired the way that she has been true to herself, really. Mm -hmm. um, and, and new and fund? New fund just raised? Fund, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Syracuse Ventures. And she's going to crush it. I know she is, that she does mm -hmm. everything else. And mm -hmm. then there's, some, there's a guy named Mark McLeod. I don't know if you know who he is, but yeah. he used to be like the CFO of... Um, of Shopify okay. and um and he was also an early partner at Real Ventures right. Montreal actually this uh -huh. is before Janet's days and he now is an executive coach or like a CEO coach uh -huh. and after having a stint basically running a small investment bank which like helps startups sell themselves which is right. amazing but he also is very has been a rock in many ways. I've always, whenever I'm like, I'm in a really weird place and I'm trying to figure something out, I would always pick up the phone and be like, Mark, I need to talk to you. And he would always be there uh -huh. and give great advice. And so I've always really appreciated that. Founder wise, there's, well, Nora Sakis, know who started Missouri. <laughs> I've known her for a very long time. Also before that business was what it is today. And I have just admired the way that she has consistently stayed so true to mission but with the ability to adapt and then like put on this this consumer mindset on to understand how this business that she has built was going to explode mm. which she did her and majid i think they've done a phenomenal job and i respect her and admire her so much mm. um and the same actually goes for joanna and i choose these consumer companies joanna griffiths the Knicks, because these are the underdogs in canadian businesses and startups the consumer businesses are always looked over and unfortunately, and I think that there's so much promise for consumer in Canada and those two particularly have really kind of shown the way. I love that mm -hmm. I dialed the- I was going to say that, that just says, you know what? It's done. It, time is done. We, 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 we got well, through it. And you got pickups to do, snacks oh, to make, you got to make dinner. <laughs> take family first, you know. Yeah. I, 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 it, it rings true as it as it always should. But Jen, thanks so much for your time today and and for sharing. And you know, keep keep your mission going because I, I think you you're really going to make a big difference to the world. And uh, I think it's important. So keep it up. <laughs> Thank you. It's so so grateful to have the chance to share my story. <laughs> Ahoy, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you liked this episode, and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is 
P-O-D-C-A-S-T at T-T-T, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at T-T-T underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.